Hey, it's Lauren. Thank you so much for listening to The Afterlight. Enjoy the episode. This episode has been brought to you by The Afterlight Institute. The Afterlight Institute is a community of teachers and students seeking to expand their spiritual gifts and their inner wisdom on the road to illuminating their forgotten selves. Offering online courses, in-person retreats, live events, online expositions, and more, the Afterlight Institute is a safe and inclusive space for all. To learn more, head to theafterlightinstitute.com. All right, Lauren Grace here, and welcome to The Afterlight, and my guest today is Val. She is a herbalist, biodynamic gardener, and artist living in Michigan's Northwoods on Anishinaabe land. She is the owner of Woodspell Apothecary, where she offers potent plant tonics and herbal goods for those who wish to connect to the plant world and their own body's healing abilities. Totally gave me goosebumps for whatever reason while I'm reading that. (laughs) She is also the host of Healer's Moon podcast, where she explores the many facets of folk healing. Val keeps the values of environmental justice, social justice, and sustainability at the core of her work as she bridges the practical and the magical healing medicine of plants. When she's not in her garden or the apothecary, Val is usually cuddling with her cats, sipping on tea, and reading a good book. Val, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's good to be back. I learned a lot about um, tea and and the like in our last episode. I will let our listener know that, yeah, this is the second time Val's been on the show. We got on like a house on fire in the first one. So if you're kind of interested a little bit more in Val's background, I'd really head back to that episode. I'll get Val, I'll get you to touch on it in a minute here, just briefly, but you know, probably not going to go over the things that we covered in the first episode, but I will say that you had a lot of, um, suggestions of different teas and things like that to drink and enjoy. And um, I really have recently developed a bit of a connection with tea. So I'm actually having one right now. I'm drinking my lavender tea. So any thoughts on that as a choice? Oh my gosh. I mean, well, you can't go wrong with lavender tea, right? It's just like a worldwide, like classic tea. You can't go wrong for sure. I think also lavender, you don't even need much of it because it's so potent. It's so aromatic, like adding a little bit of honey in there. Mm, so tasty, especially for winter where it is where you are. It's super nice. Yes, that's right. And I'm really glad that you mentioned that because I forgot that that was a question I wanted to ask you about. So I'll just leave with that. Um, so one of the things that I know about myself is I tend to be a little bit of an extremist and not in all things. I don't binge and stuff, but I mean, lotion. I like use lotion all the time. And, um, with tea, this is where I'm going with it. You're like, what does that have to do with anything? Well, when I'm making my tea and it's not a tea bag, it's like the loose tea. I think I've, I've been probably using like two tablespoons per cup, which I realize is way too much. So like you just said with lavender tea, how much uh, loose tea leaves do you normally use when you're making a cup of tea and how long do you let it steep for? Oh my gosh. Great question. Because you can go about this in a bunch of different ways. Usually if you just want like a good cup of tea to enjoy, all you need is a teaspoon and then just let that sit for five or 10 minutes and add sweetener if you want. And you're good to go. If you're trying to do more of a medicinal blend to sort of address any health issues you want to address, uh, people will usually do two or three teaspoons per cup of water. What I like to do personally is make an infusion though, which is basically making a whole quart of tea at a time. That way I can drink the tea throughout the day. So what I'll do is at night put probably two or three tablespoons, like you said, but in a quart of water, like hot water at the same time, and then cap it and then just let it infuse overnight. And then that way it really helps to extract all of those really great medicinal compounds, nutrients, vitamins. And so that really long steeping time is a really great way to get a really strong, potent medicinal blend. And then that way in the morning, if you're someone like me who doesn't drink coffee, you have a really good, like delicious drink to drink throughout the rest of the day. You can either drink it cold or heat it back up if you want. So yeah, it's really versatile. Oh, I love that. Um, You know, for a listener at home, Val and I were supposed to record this episode, I think one or two weeks ago, and I got hit with COVID. And I I thought, oh, I'm a superhuman. I'm not, number one, I'm not going to get COVID. And then number two, if I'm going to get COVID, I'm just going to like 
be a total rock star through it. Well, I will say that I suffered so much and it was so awful for me. I went through a lot of stuff and we're not going to talk about me and COVID, but the reason why I'm bringing this up is because funny enough, it reconnected my love of tea. And I realized because mm-hmm. I was so sick and I had no appetite and I couldn't taste or smell anything. So I would go and I would make three cups of tea at one time because I knew that I didn't necessarily have the energy later to get off the couch and go and make more tea. And since COVID, I actually now I start every day, I'll, I'll still have my coffee, but I'm drinking anywhere between three and five cups of tea every day. Uh, whereas I think before I always thought it was too much trouble, <laughs> which just sounds lazy. <laughs> That's so funny though, because it literally, you know, if you take, cause I'm the same, I'm the exact same way. Like if it takes longer than like, you know, 10 minutes to do, like, I don't want to do it. So, I mean, and there's no shame in that. Like, you know, the trick is to find like the shortcuts, like, how can I do this all at one time? That way my, you know, self who's doing a million things at once can just drink it throughout the day and not have to make cup after cup after cup, which is a great way of, you know, like you said, just batch making it or making it the night before and letting it infuse and then steep in the morning, which is great. So yeah, tea is so versatile too. And it's great because it doesn't have to stay hot. So even if you're, you know, letting it cool throughout the day or keeping it in the fridge, it's still really tasty at the end of the day, as it was in the beginning of the day. Yeah. When you seep your tea or you put your, um, you know, the water in the tea, like number one, do you bring your water to boil? And number two, do you cover the tea to make sure all the oils and stuff are in there? Cause I never knew covering your tea was a thing. So is that something yeah. you do? I mean, I think the, the main reason for covering the tea and I could be wrong, but this is just what I think is just to keep it hot. You know, otherwise if you're steeping it for a long time, it'll get a little warm. Some people don't like warm tea or anything like that, mm. but, um, yeah, usually what I do is, I'm sorry, what, what was the question? I got lost on. Oh yeah, that's okay. Boiling the water. Do you bring your tea water to a boil? Cause you'd want to burn right. the leaves. Yeah, usually what, usually what people say is like 30 seconds off of boiling is when you want to pour the water on the tea. So usually what I do is just, as soon as I start seeing the little like simmering bubbles, that's when I'll go ahead and just, infuse my herbs. And then, you know, if I am infusing it overnight, then I'll immediately go ahead and just, you know, put a cap on it and let it infuse. Otherwise I just leave it uncovered and then drink it after, you know, 10 minutes or so. Yeah. Okay. And then last question on tea. I never knew I was so <laughs> yeah. into tea, but I, I, it turns right. out I really am. And I know you are. So I mean, this is exciting. Yeah. Um, do you, when you're making your tea, you know, overnight, do you have a big thermos or are you doing it in a pod and then straining it just for our listener at home? And also for myself, if we think this is something we want to try. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Definitely. What I do is get a quart size Mason jar. So it's like a little bit bigger than the tiny ones that you use, but it's not as big as like the half gallon. So it's like in between. So like that quart jar is enough for me to drink throughout the entire day. And I believe that's like three or four cups worth of tea. So you've got the exact amount in that specific size jar. So that's just kind of what my go-to is. And also just touching on the fact, you know, that tea is so great. Like tea is the most accessible sort of plant medicine that anybody can use too. So, you know, there's a reason for why it's so loved and it's ancient. Like people have been drinking tea for thousands of years. So highly recommend getting into the tea. And just another little side note is certain herbs are really good for doing an overnight blend, which are herbs that are really rich in vitamins, minerals, or um, nutrients. And those are a lot of times herbs that are good for the lymphatic system or detoxing the liver, um, like uh, dandelion or burdock. Nettle is also really good as an overnight infusion too. So any of those herbs that are just really rich in um, those sort of minerals and whatnot are great for overnight infusion. Uh, it, Cause I've kind of found that like, if you did an overnight infusion of lavender, it might become a little bit too bitter because of all the volatile oils. So you kind of want to go for more of like the nourishing herbs as a really long steep, and then just use your aromatic herbs as sort of a, you know, a quick cup of, of tea, if you want to do it like that. 
Okay. Yeah. Because I was drinking eye bright tea and I let it seep for quite mm-hmm. steep rather not seep steep for quite yeah. a long time. Uh, and it was so bitter. I almost couldn't drink it. Now I don't add any sweeteners or anything. So I guess, mm-hmm. you know, is it because I left it too long or, or would, uh, something like that maybe require some honey or maple syrup or something? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't usually use sweetener in my tea either, but if I am drinking a particularly bitter tea, yeah, you can definitely add honey to that. Um, But I definitely think that even though like burdock and dandelion do have some bitter compounds, just the fact that there are so many other um, like medicinal nutrients and stuff to balance it out, it doesn't come across as super bitter after you steep it for eight hours at a time. So there's definitely some that I w- would recommend as you know an overnight infusion and some that I wouldn't necessarily do. But what you could do is just to sort of do like a blend. You could do, if you really wanted to have eyebright as an overnight infusion, you could do like three parts of burdock, one part of eyebright. So it's not just all eyebright. And then that's the part of the fun of it too, right? It's just like experimenting or just like a little bit of lavender and a lot of dandelion or whatever. So that's like another great part about plants and tea is that it's, it's all about, you know, exploring the fun of it as well as the healing, because, you know, your medicine shouldn't be just like this, you know, cringy sort of thing that you just have to put up with. But like, I mean, but that's kind of how it is in modern medicine. Like I still have nightmares about like that cherry or grape cough syrup as a kid. Oh yeah. Like I can't even have anything cherry. Yeah. I can't even have anything cherry or grape flavor because it's just like, like gives me such a bad reaction. And so like, this is the totally opposite way of nourishing your body is just to, you know, sort of let the plants guide you too, and just have fun with it. Mm. You know, I love that you say that because I feel that, you know, as, as we get older, as we do, um, although I remain looking ageless, (laughs) which is like, yes, you do. You're glowing. So do you, so do you. Um, yay for us. Uh, I feel like I'm not really experimental with foods. I notice that, you know, if I am alone for dinner or something, I really eat really basic. And if I'm alone for a long time, let's say for dinners, I'll probably eat stir fry almost all the time. Um, I feel really nervous sometimes, I guess you could say about mixing and matching different spices and things. So when you're talking about, you know, putting these different teas together, how do you kind of get over the hurdle of, of maybe worrying that you're going to do it wrong, letting your body guide you? And, and would you do the same sort of process with teas as you would with different spices and, and the like? Because I really struggle with that. For sure. I think, and it's uncomfortable too, right? Because like now there's a recipe for everything. You know, you could literally just go online and Google the exact, you know, recipe that you want. And it's laid out for you perfectly. You don't have to do the thinking. You don't have to do the experimenting. So yeah, it's uncomfortable nowadays in our internet age to sort of break out of that. But, you know, you look at the recipes from, you know, our ancestors, from our great grandmas, they didn't even measure. They just sort of like threw stuff in with whatever intuitively was best for them. That's why, you know, their kids and their grandkids had such a hard time recreating their recipe because they never wrote it down. They never, you know, put that down there. So, you know, inherently though, that sort of intuition and knowledge is still within us. So I think the best thing you can do is to just not go on the internet. Like don't try and look that stuff up, like pick out four herbs or so, just so it's not overwhelming. Not so you have like 12 different herbs to try, but like, get like four different herbs and mix and max, mix and match and just see, you know, what tastes good, especially if the herbs, you know, are, you know, you can use them as much as you want without any side effects or anything like that, then there's really no consequences. You can just let yourself play. And yeah, it's just more of a mental hurdle to sort of get over that fact that we have literally all of the answers at our fingertips. Right. So that's, that's the main thing. But once you do that, it's just staying off the internet and giving yourself space to you know, mess up. And sometimes it's not going to taste good. Like that's, it's just, it is, is how it is. And you can do the same thing. Like you said, with spices, it's just mix and match. But when you find that really good combination, it's just so rewarding mm. after like going through the work and all of that stuff. So it's much more fulfilling to make something that you've created yourself intuitively and with the plants. And it is to just 
look something up. So, but I'm glad that you brought that up because that is real. That is a real thing that you yeah. have to kind of get over when you start formulating. Yeah. And I guess my question is, you know, when you're doing that, do you write down the measurements? Like, for example, I made a banana bread the other day and I did, I had the, the bones of a recipe and then I got, I did get a little wild with seeds and stuff, which I, apparently I feel comfortable with putting any kind of seed together. Um, but I'm mixing that, but I didn't really write down the amounts. And then I did try to recreate it again. It wasn't necessarily the same. So when you're playing in the kitchen and you're having that, you know, maybe those intuitive experiences, are you for yourself, Val, jotting down the amounts or are you just jotting down the ingredients? If it's just for myself, I won't even bother like because right now it's you know summer where I am so the herb garden is just crazy so what I'll do like in the morning is just go out to the garden when I'm checking on everything and literally just pick handfuls of lemon balm and mint and sage or whatever and just throw them in a jar and like make an infusion like I'm not too concerned about it you know it but my my business itself is a product-based business so when I'm doing my actual formulas that I need to recreate over and over again those are very meticulous. You know, you have a very exact amount of each herb that you're using, how much alcohol you're using to, um, you know, infuse it in, what the ratios are. Like it's, that's very meticulous. So when I'm doing it just for myself, I'm just, I'm going with it. That's, I'm just letting it flow. Yeah. Okay. I appreciate that. And I remember I learned a little while ago, you know, cause I was talking to someone about organic and natural wines and they were re reminding me that mm -hmm. when you're not getting these wines when you're getting kind of the wines that are mass produced that very often the flavors mm -hmm. are adjusted to get that sort of consistent mm. taste whereas you know when you're wanting to be a little bit more natural how do you kind of adjust that like what if um do you ever have that you know maybe the the lemon balm doesn't taste the way that it did last year and do you do you kind of tweak for that or do you just it is how it is i mean honestly my herbs seem to be pretty consistent from year to year. I have a really structured sort of way that I grow and that I nourish the garden throughout the season. So I really haven't had, um, and that's the great thing about herbs too, is they're very resilient. They're very hardy. It's not like growing fruit or vegetables. Cause you know, if you have a bad crop of peppers or tomatoes one year, it, it sucks, but herbs, you know, once they actually get started, they're very resilient. So they don't need like a lot of extra tweaking and stuff while they're growing. Most of the time they're very potent, especially the way, um, you know, that we garden biodynamically. It's just, you're working in tune with the cosmos and all of that stuff. So you've got a lot of stuff on your side to make sure the herbs that you produce are already, you know, as good as they're gonna get. And then if there's any herbs that I can't get at the time or that I can't forage or that, that are out of season, I have a local organic, grower that I'm, you know, very confident in as well. And so, you know, plus with herbs and tinctures and stuff, it's not so much about the taste as it is about the medicinal benefits that you're getting. So with wine, obviously you want to be able to like have a consistent taste, but yeah. um, as long as you're getting all those medicinal compounds too, that's the great thing about tinctures. Like that's what matters. Yeah. And I want to say a big congratulations to you as well, because I believe that you're opening or just have opened a brick and mortar store. Yeah. Three weeks ago, this is our third week open. It's been a wild ride. <laughs> that is so fantastic. Did you ever think that, you know, that would happen or was that always part of the vision? No, never. <laughs> because I worked in retail when I was younger and I hated it. I hated everything about it. Like I'm much more of like an introverted person. So the thought of ever like, I didn't even know I was going to do it until the space came into my life, like until it came onto my radar, you know, really the main reason that I started renting the space is because um, I wanted to have basically expand my production area and get my business out of my house because I was just taking over. So I needed a production area to make my stuff. And it happened to be right on uh, Main Street, right in my little town. And there was a tiny little retail space in the front. So I'm like, hey, why not? I can make my products here and also have just a little retail space in the front. And it's been great because I actually get to talk to people face to face about, you know, their health journey and everything that they're dealing with. So it's been really rewarding to be able to do the face to face thing because I've been doing this online business for three years now. So it's been a really, really great balance. And now 
even though I hated retail when I was younger, I love this because it's about something that I'm passionate about. And especially in small rural towns, like we need more access to, you know, healthy options as far as, you know, not just food, which, you know, is not my specialty, but just being able to take your health into your own hands. So I think it's a really, I don't know, it makes me feel good. It makes me feel like there's a purpose here. Yeah. Oh, I think that's so beautiful. And very often, you know, we're being guided whether we like it or not to do the things that Mm -hmm. we were called to do. And, you know, I think that's just so exciting and I'm really interested in following your journey on that. So I've got about 5,000 questions that I really want to ask you. Um, And (laughs) none of them was, I was originally like, okay, so on the show today, we're going to talk about eating for the seasons. We're going to talk about do's and dirt, uh, do's and dirts not dirts, don'ts of um, working with plants and herbs. And we're still going to get to that. But I mean, some other things kind of came up when you were talking. Number one, I do want to ask you, um, what are the essential herbs that you do grow in your garden? Like what every year do you need to have in your garden, Val? Oh my God. Oh, there's so, so many. It's ridiculous. But I would definitely say, I mean, I've really been looking into sort of ancestral herbs from my uh, nationality, which is Slavic, Polish, all of that sort of Eastern European um, ancestry. So I've really been looking into herbs and plants that they grew for medicine and food to sort of connect to my lineage. So I've really been drawn to cornflower or AKA bachelor's button. So that's like one of my all time favorite flowers to grow in the herb garden, not necessarily for you know, it's medicinal benefits. So it has been used in the past as like an eye wash for, you know, irritated eyes and and whatnot. It's also been added to tea. It's also an edible flower, but it just feels like I know this plant because of, you know, my ancestry and all of these things. And it's just a, just delight to grow. So I love cornflower, lemon balm, which I mentioned, like there's no scent or flavor in the world that even compares to lemon balm and lemon balm is such a generous plant because you can get like three or four harvests out of it per year as soon as you cut some back it just regrows and it regrows and it smells divine it's just uh it makes me so happy and it's so good in those infusions that I was telling you about I also love tulsi aka holy basil which is an adaptogen which is really great for balancing you know your stress hormones and just great for balancing your entire system also smells and tastes delicious. So I have to have that absolutely every, every year. Um, also I have to say Monarda fistulosa, which is wild bee balm. It's native to where I live, but the pollinators absolutely love it. Like bumblebees, butterflies, they're just always around this plant. So it makes me feel like I'm doing a little something, something for the wildlife as well. And bee balm is just this beautiful, like pink uh, flowered plant and the leaves and the flowers are medicinal too. They kind of smell like spicy oregano. So it's a really good respiratory herb that can be used in tea or tincture. Um, It's good for the, it's uh, so aromatic. So it's really good for the digestive system as well to sort of expel gas and settle a upset stomach. So yeah, love that plant as well. I could go on and on, but those are like some of my favorites. And of course, elderberry, I just actually had um, my first elderberry plant blossom for the first time this year, which I am ecstatic about. It's taken a few years, but, you know, because you can use the flower and the berry and everybody knows how wonderful elderberry is. So, yeah. And it's also part of my sort of ancestral lineage. You know, my ancestors really valued elderberry for so many reasons, magically, energetically, medicinally. So. Yeah. But yeah, those are just a handful because I could go on all night. You know, I'm so glad I asked that because your response was not, you know, ginger, although that's a root, I guess you'd say (laughs) I'm not a herb, but you you know, your response wasn't basil and peppermint. It was totally different. Although I'm sure those are probably in your garden, but that, you know, your responses were something that I wasn't really necessarily expecting. So I'm really glad I asked that. And thank you for, um, for sharing that with me. Do you talk to your plants and herbs, Val? Oh, all the time. I also talk to my cats. So it's just, it's a pretty normal thing for me to do. I live in the middle of the woods, uh, just FYI. Uh, Another great reason why I started my brick and mortar store so I can talk to humans, but no, I like there, I talk to my plants all the time. Um, 
especially there just sometimes, especially when the first like flower blooms on a plant, it just sort of takes your breath away a little bit, especially if you started it from seed to see like the whole fruition, you know, especially since not only does it like feel good to sort of be in that communion with the plants, but I mean, science has even proven that plants respond to sound, to people talking to them, to music, to all of these things. So just sort of as silly as it might seem, just do it when, you know, nobody else is around. It's fine. Talk to your plants. And then it's really a part of it, establishing that connection between, you know, land and body, land and spirit, as well as your medicine as well. I mean, I, there's just energy all around us. I can't explain it, but there's sometimes you just need to give your plants a little love. Yeah. Believe me, if someone's listening to this episode and they've stuck with us through the tea conversation, I think they're on the same page <laughs> as both of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally fine. Yeah. yeah. It's so funny. Yeah. I remember I was walking by my plant the other day and in my head, I heard, I need a drink. And I went, oh yeah, yeah, I'll get to it. <laughs> And See? then later I heard See? it again. I, I love like, oh, that. Yeah, I'll get to it. And then later I went, oh shoot, I forgot. And then, you know, I went, you're oh, like, I need to get the drink. I'm sorry. <laughs> I need a drink. Isn't that like, so oh. great though? I love <laughs> yeah. that so much because so many people are like, how do I, you know, speak with plants? How do I, Listen. you know, gain this connection to plants? It's so literally, yeah, just spend, literally just spend time in the garden. Eventually, you know, you weren't even trying to like receive that and it just came through. Yeah. You know, if you spend enough time in the garden and try and just be open to that, then, you know, you'll get those sort of signals in various mm-hmm. ways. And sometimes it's not so much as, as like a voice, but sometimes it's a feeling. Sometimes, you know, it's in a dream. Like I've had many, many dreams about plants and animals, especially since I've started, you know, making this journey into sort of the spiritual side of plant medicine and all of those things. So yeah, definitely recommend discovering and exploring that relationship because um, I think too now everybody's just so lonely and detached from, I don't know, I think people don't know what they're detached from, but I think a big part of it is that we're detached from the land, from the plants. And so, you know, just knowing that the plants are there for you, that they're outside, that they have medicine right there at your fingertips that they want to give back to you. maybe might help some people not feel so alone too. So I think it's really powerful if people are open to it. Yeah, I agree. I think that's beautiful. Do you have a relationship with the elemental kingdom? You know, I haven't experimented with that too much. There's like some herbalists that I know that are really deep into sort of the elementals and I'm fascinated by it. Um, I'm personally a Scorpio moon, Scorpio rising. So like the water elementals and uh, sorry, Scorpio sun, Scorpio moon, Pisces rising. So Mm -hmm. I have a lot of the uh, water element just in my own sort of chart. And so the water elementals have really been a huge influence on me just in how I live my life, which is, you know, if I need to reset, if I'm stressed, if I'm, you know, out of balance, I go to the water and that's how I work with those the elementals and I'm immediately reset just it's wild so um but again I haven't gotten too too deep into the actual theory and philosophy behind all of that though Hmm. yeah it's just an interesting uh, interesting question so let's talk a little bit about eating for the seasons and I know you do um you know you work with the cosmos as well so can you kind of explain Mm -hmm. a little bit about you know I guess the work that you do uh eating for the seasons? Cause I think it kind of goes hand in hand together possibly. Yeah. I mean, everything's a cycle, right? So biodynamics, it's all about the cycle. It's about the cycle of the moon. It's about the cycle of the earth. It's about the cycle of the other planets and the stars. And then eating seasonally is, you know, also about just that cycle, that earthly cycle though, which is, you know, great as well. And so, yeah, I definitely, I'm not super strict about it. I'm more of a sort of go with the flow sort of person. So whatever is, you know, ready and ripe and delicious at the time, that's kind of what I go, you know, sort of gravitate towards as well. Like right now, uh, all the wild blueberries are uh, fruiting right now. So I'm just obsessed with all things blueberry, like blueberry muffins, blueberry, you know, tea. I've really been experimenting with trying to dry blueberries and sort of see how they, I don't know, reconstitute if you add water. So that's really been fascinating to me. So if there's anything that's been really sort of 
catching my eye at the time, I just work with it as much as I possibly can because, you know, like I said, everything's a cycle. So soon enough, you know, the blueberries are going to be gone and I'm going to have to wait till next year. So that's, it's all about just living in the moment and really sort of embracing what's around you, you know, right now. So I think that at the core of it, that's what eating seasonally is all about is just living in the present moment. And of course, the benefits of that are you get all of the biodiversity from the foods that you're eating as you change throughout the season. So um, yeah, it's just a fascinating cycle to be a part of. I think one of the things that um, you really strike me as a person who is really in tune with themselves. And I know that would be a big focus for you probably as far as eating, you know, for medicinally, like using food to like heal your body and all that. I mean, how do people who aren't as connected with themselves sort of begin that journey? Because when I'm talking about eating for the seasons, I suppose I sometimes I have to Google it. <laughs> like what is the food right now? Because like I said earlier, I kind of get in the habit where I just eat broccoli all year, or I just eat, yeah. you know, carrots all the time, all year. Whereas there are some times of the year where maybe that actually would be a natural fit and other times, maybe not so much. This episode has been brought to you by the Afterlight Institute. Ignite the light, magic, and miracles within. Yeah, for sure. And hey, like I eat broccoli and carrots all the time too. Like, especially (laughs) my husband is not as adventurous in food too. So I have to have, you know, the classic staples that I know he's going to eat as well. And so what I'll do is I'll, you know, have all of the classic, especially also living in a small town, we don't have a lot of um, accessibility to more of the seasonal foods sometimes, you know, we've got a lot of corn fields and wheat fields, but we don't have a lot of, you know, actual vegetables growing around us. Um, So really just using what you have available to you. And like what I'll do instead is just incorporate little things, you know, into my daily routine that are seasonal, like I said, with the blueberries or what I've really been obsessed with lately are fennel. So I've been using the fennel tops in um, like pestos and dips and things like that. And then I've been roasting the actual fennel bulb and like putting spices and olive oil on it and mixing in with other vegetables. And it's just such a, I don't know, a refreshing sort of change to just your typical sort of vegetables. So just take like, you know, one or two vegetables that are in season now and just make something totally new with them or throw them into something that you already know how to make like a stir fry. Like you could totally add fennel bulb to a stir fry. It'd be really good. Um, And then I think also just like you kind of mentioned, knowing uh, what your body needs and being in tune with your body. And I think if you're not really sure of where to start, I think understand, like just looking at your, your chart, like, um, can give you a really good idea. Like as a Scorpio sun and moon, it's a water element. It's a fixed sign, which means there's a lot of stagnation. It can be cold because of water. So there's a lot of cold stagnation sort of in my constitution. And so I really need more like fiery, spicy, warming herbs and foods to sort of balance out my regular, you know, nature and all of that. Because otherwise, you know, if you're too cold, too stagnant for too long, then, you know, other sort of funguses and like that sort of thing can start to sort of germinate and we don't want that. So sort of just understanding your own sort of zodiac sign, zodiac chart, a sun sign and figuring out what sort of balances that out is a great place to start too. Oh, that's so great because I've heard of, you know, people looking at your doshas and that sort of thing, but I haven't ever had somebody say, look at your astrology chart in terms of what to eat. I mean, I have a moon in cancer, but then I'm an Aries. So I'm very fiery, but Mm -hmm. then I'm always freezing. So yeah you know, but I know a lot. Yeah. 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 It's really Mm -hmm. interesting. Exactly. Um, what are some of your favorite recipes to go to in the seasons? Do you have a couple of staple recipes that you're like, Oh yeah, it's summer. We're going with this. It's winter. We're going with this. Would you be willing to share one or two of those? Yeah, for sure. Uh, the one that just came to my mind when you mentioned it was it's a Polish recipe. Like I said, I'm really trying to get back into touch with my sort of ancestral roots. And I think food is a huge part of that is understanding, you know, your ancestors is through food. Even if you don't have a lot of like written texts, you can 
still connect with them and your roots through food. Um, and one of them is a really great summer staple called Klodnik, and it's basically a cold soup. It's a cold beet soup. So there's the main ingredient is beets and there's cucumbers and green onions and uh, hard boiled egg. And it's just this beautiful, bright pink soup. So if you don't know what that is, it's kind of like a gazpacho if um, you make those at all. And it's not green though, but it's a very like beautiful pink refreshing soup because nobody wants to, you know, heat anything up during the summer. So anything that's nice and cold to balance out the fire element of summer is really, I don't know, invigorating and refreshing for me. And also though, you could sort of flip that around and if it's winter where you are, then you could make a heated beet soup. And it's not called Klodnik, but you could definitely do like stews are my absolute like favorite thing to do during winter because you can throw it in the slow cooker. It's so good. You can add medicinal mushrooms like reishi and lion's mane, um, any of those really tough roots that you need to cook for a long time. Plus they're so good for the immune system, which you really need to bolster during winter. So I absolutely love doing a really delicious mushroom, like medicinal mushroom stew on top of that. Mm. So either of those, it's a good, I think it's a good balance for sure. And then obviously the warm soup balances out the water element of winter. So you need to know your own body sort of influences, but also right now, if it's like 90 degrees where I am, like <laughs> some nice water balancing sort of foods is absolutely necessary for sure. Val's sweating at her house and I'm sitting in my, oh my God. Australia and I've got my heater on. <laughs> so <it's very> <laughs> I'm telling you. I love that. Great. You know, one of the things that you've brought up twice now is really um, connecting with your heritage. And so I guess I was sort of wondering what your opinion was. Um, I grew up in Northern Canada, in the Yukon Territory, and uh, a lot of First Nation influence, obviously, when I grew up. And so I have, you know, in, in my mind, there are certain things that I would like to use for, you know, cleansing my space, or we say smudging my space, um, like such as sweet grass and the like. Um, there are a lot of other cultures where they use sage. Um, there are a lot of other cultures where they might use maybe peppermint and the like. So I guess my question to you is, what do you think about I also like cleansing and smudging with sage as well, but I have had, you know, people say, you know, their opinions is that you should be using herbs from your own area and not necessarily, you know, using herbs from another area. So what are your thoughts on that? I think that just in general, working with plant medicine, you know, there's what I like to say is like with great love comes great responsibility. And part of that responsibility is not only to the plants and the land, but also the indigenous people of that land. And so, you know, herbs like Pilo Santo and white sage are very mm -hmm. sacred to those people. Mm -hmm. And especially since they've been, you know, appropriated and commercialized for, you know, other white folks like us, yeah. I tend to shy away from using any of those herbs out of respect for them. And especially since mm -hmm. we want to, in herbalism, you know, stand up for what's right and make change and sort of stand against sort of the whole colonial mindset. And I think, right. um, you know, just by not using those herbs is a great way to at least start making those changes. Um, and if you need to, like, you could just use garden sage instead, which, you know, is native to the Mediterranean and all of that stuff. So I'm not, you know, super, you know, strict on you have to use, you know, herbs that grow where you live, but I'm more of just be respectful of whose herbs, you know, those are sacred to like, for me, you know, I, I like sage as well, but I only use salvia officinalis, which is a garden sage. I also love to use juniper, which is like sort of a sacred herb from my Polish ancestry that people would use for cleansing. So I'll use juniper a lot. Um, so yeah, it's just being very mindful of, you know, just the whole web that we are all a part of because, you know, you can't work with plant medicine and pick and choose, you know, what you want to take. You have to give back more than you take. So I think that's just part of keeping that balance at least. And that's just my opinion. Yeah, no, of course. And I wanted to hear your opinion. And I do know that, you know, someone that I recently found in Australia, they do grow, grow and dry their own sage. So I like that. Mm -hmm. And um, for me, that feels fine for me. But then on the other side, you know, I was at a 
like a hippie shop a little while ago. I say hippie shop just because, you know, it's just easy to explain <laughs> what, yeah. what they would sell there. Um, and there was like these beautiful dried Australian herb bundles, which of course I got. So um, I, I don't really think that I'd really looked at it in that way before until it was kind of introduced to mm-hmm. me to kind of look at things, but I guess it kind of comes down to what we were talking about earlier, which is really being in line and authentic with what feels right for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think a huge part of it is listening to your own intuition, but also listening to the voices of people of color and people who have had, you know, so much taken from them and respect that for their culture than it is for, you know, what I want or my needs. And, you know, I think a big way to sort of offset you know, getting mixed up with the appropriation and, you know, the commercialization of all of that is kind of what I mentioned is to see what was sacred to your ancestry. Not only does that help connect you to your roots and give you some grounding, but it also supports them, you know, in their culture. So I think the more diverse we can be, the stronger, you know, our future is just as, as, as a people. Mm, that's great. And actually, I'm going to endeavor to get someone on the show to talk more about this subject because I think it's important. Um, yeah, very so important. I'm looking at the time and I'm like, where does the time go when you and I talk? I like, blink and then we're over. And I have 30,000 questions I didn't even get to ask you. One of the questions <laughs> I was curious about, which came up at the very t- um, starting of our conversation in relation to tea, was honey. Now, a lot of people mm-hmm. talk about the importance of honey, but I mean, you really need to be careful, don't you, when you're buying and, and consuming honey that you're not getting pure honey, you're getting raw honey. Thoughts on that? Yes. Yeah, for sure. Especially, you know, everybody's into beekeeping nowadays. So you can get local raw honey that hasn't been processed or heated or anything like that. And so that's definitely what I go towards. And raw honey does, you know, solidify over time, but it's worth it, you know, if just to keep that, that purity there. And there's so many options for honey nowadays and it's antifungal, it's anti-inflammatory, like it's so versatile. It's so good for the body. So, you know, if you are having honey and you're not straying from sugar for any reason, I definitely would recommend trying to get the raw local honey for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, okay. So on that note, I'm going to change, flip the script a little bit, just with the last little bit of time we had, I did think it was important to bring up the honey only because some people are eating pure honey and they're not realizing that you're yeah. missing out on a lot of the positive aspects of that. So I just, I did want to mention that. Um, I do want to ask you uh, kind of in closing, I guess, whether or not you have some tips and tricks, some do's and don'ts, so to speak for people who are wanting to maybe grow and also dry their own herbs, uh, especially where I live. Um, I live in a really challenging climate at times. It's uh, lots of humidity. So you have to be really careful about mold, for example. So I guess I was just kind of wondering, you know, over the, the last few years, especially, what are some of the things that you've learned not to do or that you've learned to do um, that's like a really kind of a non-negotiable? Yeah, for sure. So I understand because I live in a very humid climate as well as I think uh, I checked it was 80% humidity today. So I understand the struggle. It's real. Um, But yeah, usually my process for basically drying any herb is to once you harvest it, let it sit in the shade for probably about an hour or so. This lets all of the insects and all of the bugs sort of crawl out and, you know, get out of your herbs and because you don't really want those in your herbs and you don't want to kill you know, extra pollinators or whatever, if you don't have to. So letting your herbs rest in the shade for a bit is, um, you know, sort of the first thing that I do. It's very important for me. And then what I do to actually dry my herbs is, first of all, if you have a dehydrator, that makes your life a whole lot easier. I have a 12 tray dehydrator, which is great for small batches. But if you're doing a large batch of herbs, which is usually what I do for my products, is I actually have a designated broom that is closed off from the rest of the house. And the key to drying herbs is heat and airflow. So what I'll do is put all my herbs on screened racks. You can use like window screens even, or like stainless steel screens, like mash and then put those on there in a single layer and make sure you know you can get airflow above and below. And then what I'll do is put a dehumidifier in the room and just change that daily. And you'll be surprised how much moisture it actually like takes 
from the air. It's wild. And then um, on top of that, I will also add in like a powerful fan that's sort of pointed at the herbs just to keep the airflow going. Um, if it does happen to get a little chilly, you know, overnight or whatever, and it's not being at the temperature that I want it, I will put like a little space heater in that room too, just to make sure, you know, the temperature's at like a hundred degrees. If, if I can help it that way, you know, it, it, it'll dry in probably like two to three days. And then you'll really know if it's good to go because everything will still be bright and vibrant and green. And then when you go to sort of like touch it, it'll be nice and crinkly and fall off the stem really easily. And then you can just store it in mason jars, in airtight jars. And what I sort of try to stress to people is to try and keep it in sort of a place that's away from the light, like in a cabinet or something, because the light will damage the herbs and sort of diminish the, the properties of the herbs if it's exposed to too much light. So if you can, I would definitely recommend that. But yeah, trying to find that sort of balance in your own climate can be tricky for sure. So I get that, but definitely making sure, you know, it's hot enough and there's airflow. Those are the two, two main things for sure. Oh, I love that. I just learned a lot right then because I picked some herbs yeah. a, a while or I picked some rose and I picked um, some peppermint mm -hmm. and rosemary and I was making my own herb bundle and I was, I hung nice. them upside down because that's what I've seen in pictures, but I didn't consider the mm -hmm. heat. I just had a fan on it. So I probably have much to learn from this experience. Yeah. The herb, you can definitely dry herbs in bundles, but I have had issues with it because like the herbs that are, or the leaves that are sort of tied up when, where they're bunched at sort of don't usually dry as well as they do yeah. if you lay them out on a flat screen. So if you can lay them out on a flat screen, and like I said, just plain old window screen or metal screen, chicken wire, probably even if, if, if it's big enough, you could use that is really the best, best way to go for sure if you can. And try and keep it out of direct sunlight too while you're drying it if you can. Hmm. Oh, that's absolutely great. Um, I guess I was wondering, you know, when sometimes you're going to pick herbs and they're maybe a little bit wilted, maybe from the sun, it's like the end of the day, or they haven't had, do you ever water them and then pick them later? Or is there kind of a time to yeah. pick your herbs that's better than another time? Yeah. I mean, in biodynamics, like we have a whole calendar of like, that's broken down into hours of the day as to when is the best time to like pick the herbs in accordance with, you know, the sun and the moon and the planets and all of that. But if you're not doing it biodynamically, like I definitely don't want to pick herbs that are wilted because they're not as vibrant. And, and it's basically their way of telling you they're not in their best, you know, state. Right. So usually I'll water them. And then the best time for me is if I'm not going by a calendar at all, is, you know, right in the morning after the dew dries, but before, you know, it gets too hot in the middle of the day. So usually like 10, 11 o'clock in the morning is an ideal time to, to pick herbs. And I think that's, I think most herbalists and just growers in general will agree on that sort of time, but like mid morning after the dew dries is a really great time to har harvest herbs for freshness. Oh, beautiful. If somebody at home is listening and they're thinking that they're really fascinated by this whole dio, dio, biodynamic um, way of gardening. I mean, when you said that, I went, whoa, that just seems really complicated, but also fascinating, but difficult. How would they even get started? How did you get started? And is that the way that you'd recommend someone else get started as well? Yeah, it can be. It can be confusing. Luckily, they have calendars out there. Um, there's called, there's a couple. There's Maria Thun, or Thun, I don't know how to pronounce her last name, but there's the Maria Thun calendar and the Stella Natura calendar, which is the one that I buy. And it breaks every count every month down into like specific days. It'll tell you what day is a leaf day, what day is a flower day, fruit day. And on the days that are leaf days, you harvest the leaves the flowers. And then of course, you know, you can go by the phases of the moon. Anyways, you can get really in depth with the calendars, but if you really just want to crash course, just to see what it's all about, I definitely recommend just getting a book on it and start reading it, seeing if you are sort of vibing with the philosophy of it. Um, there's a really great book called, I think it's just called biodynamics. I don't remember who it's by, but there's like a big uh, it's like a black book with a picture of like an onion and radishes and like vegetables on the front of it. And it's a really great like crash course book to show you sort of, you know, what 
tasks you should do when this, the moon is full, when the moon is waning and when it's waxing, when it's ascending or descending, um, you know, when Pluto or when Saturn is in conjunction with the moon and vice versa and all of these things. Really at the core, the basis of biodynamics, it's that the earth is a living, breathing organism. So we just wanna sort of work with the inhalations and the exhalations of the earth and the planets and the universe. So that at the core of it, that's really what it's all about is trying to sort of connect with this living organism that we are living on. But yeah, books, um, I really haven't found many courses on it, which is really sad because it can get pretty in depth. But that biodynamic book, I would definitely recommend. Um, I first started getting into it because a couple of my idols have been uh, biodynamic gardeners like Avena Bot Botanicals, who's a, another really great small herbal business in Maine. She's, um, Deb Soul is the name of the, the lady who runs it. She is an amazing lady and all of her gardens are biodynamic, which I'm obsessed with. Kate Clearlight, who's down in New Mexico, who does a uh, plant folk apothecary was doing biodynamic. So I'm like, oh, I'm like obsessed with them. Also, I just love the idea of you know, working with not only the land, but also the cosmos and sort of incorporating that and sort of making that bridge is just like powerful medicine for me. And I just, it's more of a spiritual practice than it is just a medicine practice as well. So mm -hmm. it's just the all, it's an all encompassing thing. It's so beautiful. And, you know, when you're talking about it, it does make me think about how <laughs> we're missing so much aren't we in life? Yeah. Well, also, I think another thing that really going on around us. Yes. I mean, I think another huge part of it that people don't realize is that all of our ancestors, no matter what culture you came from, gardened by the stars and grew food by the stars, you know, especially back then when we had no light pollution, you know, they'd only, you know, plant certain plants when the moon was full or vice versa. So just gardening and growing food by the, the cycles of the moon and the planets is not new. This isn't some new fad. This is, again, going back to the roots, which I think at the core of what I do is what I'm all about and what I, you know, has found, I've found to be most fulfilling. So yeah, it's, it's definitely an ancient practice and sort of tapping into that is just another like puzzle piece in like the whole, whole picture, I think. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, thank you so much for coming back on the show again, Val. Probably have to call you up in six months and go, girl, we didn't go, <laughs> we didn't get cover all those questions I had. So is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wanted to mention for our listeners at home? How can they get in touch? You have an online shop, you do have a brick and mortar store. So feel free to uh, take it away. Yeah, for sure. So first and foremost, our actual physical store, the brick and mortar is in Gladwin, Michigan, um, if you're in the Mitten State. And then I do still have my online business, which is still really what my, you know, my, my soul and my heart is in. Um, and that's at woodspells.com. That's my website. All of my products are grown right here at Woodspell, are formulated here, and are packaged here with lots of love. So I'm, you know, that's, that's my heart project right there. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook, which are my two main sort of social platforms. I also have a newsletter if you just want to sort of stay up to date on, you know, what I'm doing. I sort of give out some plant advice and stuff now and then to via that. But yeah, I think those are, those are all my spaces. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and I'll see you next time. <laughs> yeah, I'll be back. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please leave us a review where you listen to your podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you. New episodes every Thursday.